Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Going to do one more thing before we dive right in here today. Uh, as just a, a consideration for the word, I'm going to ask if you would stand and I want to read this passage to you. We do this kind of out of respect for the word and kind of a focus point here, but it's the same passage that was offered last week. Isaiah 43, 18, 19. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word and that you'd anoint our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 2418 Woodruff Avenue. It's really weird, the things that that you remember. 2418 Woodruff Avenue. That was where I spent the first 10 years of my life. And um, it's weird, because that was a lifetime ago. And I still can recall that address. It was at 2418 Woodruff that I, as a young child, um, first got into archery. Now, I was motivated by watching uh, Robin Hood movies, all right? And those arrows that split other arrows, and these incredible shots and all that was involved. And... Being inspired, but also being relatively poor, as we were at that time, um, I made my own bow, my first bow. No, it is not this one, okay? Um, This one's actually quite nice. Um, (laughs) The one I made as a kid was... It it was made out of... We had these shades in those days if you lived in these kind of homes, that were plastic shades with a wooden slat about an inch wide at the bottom. They'd be two foot, two and a half foot wide or so, and they'd be at the bottom in a little loop of plastic. And you'd pull this down, and it would catch, and you'd have them go up, or you could pull it down and pull it again, and it kind of would stay put. And so I found that if I took that slot, that slat, and I slid it out of its plastic sleeve, which left the shade completely shapeless and unable to function any longer, I could take that and notch it at each end and attach a string to it, and I had my bow. Well, bows aren't good without an arrow, of course, and so I had um, found that there are hangers that we have today from the dry cleaner. You know, they have that little cardboard rod inside. You know, you can hang pants on or things like that. And so I managed to scavenge uh, a half dozen of those from my parents' closet which made it fun when they tried to hang things up, of course. Um, and I slotted one end of those, and, and then I had my arrows. And, um, and we ran around the neighborhood, and, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a wonderful time. And um, so ever since then, I've, I've been shooting stuff. I'm not going to fire this off today because there's always a chance it could ricochet off and something like that. And, and killing someone during a message just brings the whole thing down, you know? <laughs> and so I'm not going to do that. 
But I want to highlight something for you that, that is with arrows, is that every time over the years that I have ever fired an arrow off, I have never one time ever in its entire history have I ever seen an arrow stop in the middle of flight and just hover and contemplate that spot. Never saw it. I have never seen an arrow reverse track in mid-flight and come back at me. Not once. And if it had, it would not have been a positive experience. I've seen them ricochet off. I've seen them penetrate a target. But once the arrow's been released, it goes to its target, it hits the target, and it's in movement the entire time until that point in time. I want you to keep that in your mind for a moment of time. This past week, as Kent shared, and it was incredibly refreshing having Kent and Erica back with us, good friends, and we have, as I said, as a staff over the years, had good relationships with rare exceptions. And um, renewing that was just great again. But I was particularly struck by two things in that service that I feel compelled to um, speak upon here yet today. The first thing that particularly hit me was the song that um, is entitled Promises, and it talks about the faithfulness of God, and we sang it as part of worship. Why did that stand out to me? Well, it's a great song. It, it, it talks about, you know, faithful through the ages, God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and faithful promises. Time and time again, you've proven you'll do just what you said. And though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my heart learn. When you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. This particularly caught my attention. I asked Jake afterwards, I said, why did you select that song? He said, it just fit with another progression of other songs we were doing at that time, both in theme and in, and in music. But I found myself quietly weeping as that song was being sung. And the reason why is because um, for two weeks prior to that service, I had been uh, at times in my office. I had come back from a short time of being away, but I will be frank with you, I had found after Christmas time was finished myself exceedingly dry. It, it, it had taken a lot over this past year, and, and I found a dryness in me. And as I came back, I found that dryness still present. And as I would get in my office and close my door, I had punched up just on my computer as I'm working on things, some music in the background, and Maverick City, the, the group that had that, had a compilation. And this was the first song in that compilation. And as I played that song, I never got past to the rest of the songs. I just continued to play that one uh, over and over and over and over again. This went on for quite some time. So when I'm here in the service and that song is being played again live with uh, our good friends here and, and, and all that was a part of this, it drew deep in me. I also noted that you as a congregation responded to that song. There was a rising up. There was something that was speaking to you even as it had spoken to me. So I put a pin in that for the moment for you. And then as Kent began to speak and he chose as his text, this text, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, I was particularly drawn and I asked him afterwards, I said, Kent, do you remember the importance of that scripture to this church? And he says, no, I, I, he would have known it, but over the years had forgotten 
I was the first youth pastor in this church. I came from East Detroit. I'd been asked to come here at that time, and I discussed things with my lead pastor at that time. I was very open with him as he was with me, and ultimately made the decision to come here. My lead pastor at that time uh, meant well, but he offered me more money to stay. That was a mistake, because I knew I wasn't coming then as a result of finances. That was important for me. I don't think money and prestige and status should ever be equated with ministry, ever. And so I came here as a young man, and I was youth pastor, and we launched this ministry called Genesis. And the passage we used, that we drew from, was this Isaiah passage, see you're doing a new thing. So as Kent spoke last week, and as this passage was stirring in my heart and mind again, and it was also critical because 10 years after the launch of that, as I became lead pastor in this church, we rewired the church into a new ministry entitled Rock Point. This passage is also something that was reminded at that time. But there was something different in this time. As Kent began to speak on this, and I, I want to back up and say I've so appreciated the ministry of each of the guys. I mean, Mickey, in what he shared on those two Sundays... I just think it was artful. And when John shared what he shared, one point jumped out at me in what John shared, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he was saying we can't always trust people, but we can always trust God. And he talked about people's brokenness. And paraphrasing him, and what I'm drawing from that point was that, that while we can't trust people, that the brokenness in an individual, that's, that's the humility and a presence of God. And we can trust that presence of God. I'm not getting new age on this. Follow what I'm saying. The presence of the Spirit of God within that person we can trust. And that broke something open for me because I trust broken people. I, I have a trouble trusting those who are not broken people. What do you mean? Like, like really screwed up, shattered people? Eh, sometimes. But it more means people who have come into contact with the holiness of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and have been so shattered by that moment that all their pride, all their arrogance, all their presumptions fall away in a moment of time. And as we receive grace from this God, who rightfully should eliminate us from, the, the, from existence. And so I find that I'm drawn to people who are conscious of this and who are broken in that fashion and walk in that humility. And in John's statements, I'm realizing it's really the presence of the Spirit of God growing in that individual that I'm drawn to. So as Kent was speaking then, um, something threw a switch in my brain. You see, we've always focused on the new thing that's being done here and that is being talked about. But... This time around, something else jumped out at me. Now, context is important in exploring Scripture. You, you just have to have it. Without context, we don't have a full understanding of what's happening. My favorite Super Bowl commercial, practically, of all time, is, is where the guy is trying to fix a tomato or a, a, a spaghetti sauce meal for his, his girlfriend. And he's in the apartment there, and her cat is wandering around, this white cat. And at one point in time, trips him. The sauce falls on top of the cat. So he's grabbing as he's about to chop the vegetables. So he's grabbing this cat drenched in red sauce, and he has the knife in his hand and trying to rescue it and the girl walks in <laughs> and it's just to me it's such a perfect scene okay so she thinks one thing but in the context once she understands that no he's rescuing the cat why I have no idea but he's rescuing the cat and, and so it's, it's not what it seems and, and, and in the same way here if we don't understand the context we don't really grasp what's being said here 
This passage begins by saying, forget the former things. Do not what? Dwell on the past. Here's a simple message for you today. God will not be able to do the new thing that he has for you as long as you stay fixated and dwelling on the past. We look at this passage, and if we, if we, if we pull this to its fullness, then we say, okay, then what is it about the past that, that can bind us? Well, there's so much that can happen with that. There's so many negative aspects to things that happened in the past that can bind us up. A divorce, that, that the heartache of that just doesn't let us go. The, a betrayal of a friend or, or a colleague. The, the, the failure on our part of something we did that, that leaves us shattered with regret. And there's so many of these things that we, we rest in that moment and we just can't seem to move past it or or let it go. And we're captive to that. It defines who we are. And there's a comfort to that depression. It's familiar. It's known to us. And slowly it becomes our identity. So is the prophet trying to tell us, don't get caught up with the negative aspects of the past? I think in some ways, yes. But there's other aspects to the past. There are positive aspects, good aspects to the past. There's that moment that I, I stood on the mountaintop and I achieved, and that was that crowning moment. There's that, that golden age of things. There's that, that winning moment that we had when everything kind of came together. And we look back on that, our high school years, our college moment, our career time, our, our, our first time we met and were engaged and, and, and had that romantic element, and now it's been decades, and boy, I wish we were back into that time again. There's a bondage, oftentimes, to the past that's not just negative, but it can also be positive aspects of that. For me, 2418 Woodruff encompassed both. It was a time of innocence for me, a time of joy and delight. It was a, a, a sweeter time period. I was a child, and, and we roamed the neighborhood. We were free-range kids. You know, we showed up at night, usually, you know? And nobody was concerned that some serial killer would draw us off. And we didn't know that. Cereal meant something you ate in the morning. Killers were something that we never had contact with. So it was a time of innocence and, 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 and beauty that I would love to go back to. And, and so many times we say, God, take me back to that moment of innocence. Take me back to that time before cynicism and other things sullied in my own actions or those that gone, gone to me. There's another aspect of that time period that I won't dwell on for you in the moment. Some of you are familiar with it already. But um, after 10 years of living there, uh, my father uh, um, was rejected by the church that he had founded by some people who didn't like the idea of hippies coming in at that time period and, and their tie-dye and their long hair. And he embraced them and much of the church did not. And so um, in a moment's time, this was the horror of those time periods, a pastor was in a parsonage that was owned by the church, which was great because you, you didn't pay for it, right? But you also have no equity. And what 
what that meant is when you lost your position, you lost your job, you lost your church home, and you lost your home. And so we were homeless for a season of time. And at the time that that happened, around that same time as a young person playing around, I had managed to, in a, in a, engaging with other friends and, and all, had, had climbed on a fence and fell off the fence at one point and grabbed it, trying to correct it. And it was one of those cyclone fences, you know, that had those hooks on top. And, and it, it barbed and ripped my palm wide open. And so this had been stitched up. And at the time of our departure, the, the thing was healing, but it was all raw and rugged. And so for decades afterwards, every time I would see this scar, every time I would feel it, I would remember time of that rejection, the time of that hurt, by the church, by the church. And so for me, 2418 represented beauty and innocence I'd like to go back to and a pain and a heartache that I couldn't forget. There are positive aspects and there are negative aspects to the past, both of which can bind us and trap us and inveigle us. The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis is one of his better works. There are no bad C.S. Lewis, except for his, his uh, science fiction work. Yeah, so-so. A demon is writing to another demon trying to seduce mankind, and he's trying to mentor this young demon in the ways of darkness and how to seduce us humans away from the enemy who is God. He says this, The humans live in time, but our enemy destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience analogous to the experience which our enemy, God, has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered them. God, therefore, he would have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means can you be concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. I want to repeat that. Bearing the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace and giving thanks for the present pleasure. Our business, this demon says, is to get him them away from the eternal and from the present. With this in view, we sometimes tempt a human, say a widow or a scholar, to live in the past or a damaged individual. But this is of limited value, for they have some real knowledge of the past, and it has a determinate nature, and to that extent resembles eternity. It is far better to make them live in the future. Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already so that thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it's unknown to them so that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. In a word, the future is of all things the thing least like eternity. It is the most completely temporal part of time for the past is frozen and no longer flows. And the present is all lit up with eternal rays. What we find as we explore these things 
and we look at the context of all this, is it's not just being prisoners of a past that has a pain and scars that mark us and, and a depression that can set in as we dwell and we stay rooted on those hurts that have been given to us or that we have failed and fallen in. It's also the, 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 those past events that were glorious, that were wonderful, that we live on and reside in and we want to stay in that place and relive it over and over again and never go back to any other time, just staying there. But then there's also the future. If we can get distracted and pulled off on so far in the future that we are, are living in something that may never happen or we're fearful or anxious, what will happen next? Will Russia really invade Ukraine? I don't know. Will market fall or rise? One of the, the really difficult things I process as a leader is one of my giftings is foresight. That's any leaders to have that, but I've been particularly good at being able to look 10, 15 years out and, and anticipate certain things. And when I was young, that was great to look 10 or 15 years out or even 20 years out. That was fantastic. The older you get, the less fantastic that is. <laughs> and so you're sitting here going, okay, 20 years from now, what's it going to be like? Uh, Let's go 30 years. Uh, 40, I'm going to be dead for sure. Kids will go. Uh, what will happen to physicians and thoughts and, and body? I mean, what will take place? You know, when I was younger, I would, I would, I love playing football. I still love playing football. And I would, I'd run out and I'd dive in that end zone. I'd jump up in the air and I'd catch that pass. And I'd, I'd pull on down. I'd hit the ground and bounce back up and give a high five to my team. We scored. Nowadays, I can still run. I can still kind of leap. I can catch that pass. I can hit the ground and I'm not getting up. <laughs> Being caught up with the past, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Being caught up with the future. That we can't see what God's doing now because we're so preoccupied with, with what ifs. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing something new. And if we don't listen to this scripture the new thing that God wants to do in our lives will never take fruition because we'll miss it. That's why he's saying, see, I'm doing it. Do not perceive it. You need to be watching for it. But when we're caught in these other things, we can't. Now, one quick note it should be said is, again, in context, is just prior to this passage in, in chapter 43 of Isaiah, God's actually saying to remember certain things. He's saying, look at, remember when I bailed you out and I, uh, you, you, you know, the Red Sea and Pharaoh and all this stuff and I rescued all this stuff? He's not saying don't, to, to forget the times that he was faithful. He's not saying forget the times that he stood with us. But he's saying don't live in those moments. There's new, more exciting things I want to do than even what was done then as great as it was. But it goes on even more so. You see, this passage in Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, begins this way. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear. Uh, I know Kent said, uh, you know, do it, you know, even with the fear. And his point was well taken, that even with fear, we should not let that limit us. Do it afraid. Trust God and lean out. And he's correct in that. But there's multiple times when, when God's even saying, look at, lean in. If you really get to know me more and more, there shouldn't be a fear in this. For I've redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, by name. You, your individual names are known. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I'll be there. When you pass through the rivers, then I'll sweep over you and walk through the fire. You're not going to be burned. I love a paraphrase I came across recently. It says it this way. Fear not, knowing the Lord is with you. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord. I am the Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, one thing you need to notice about this passage, though, is there's at least three times in here when it says when. When you walk. It's not a matter of if you will walk through the fire. It's not a matter of if you will walk through some flooded moments. In other words, it's not a matter of if you or I are going to have trials. Surprise? It is when. All of us will have trials. We will have difficulties. We will have challenges. And what God's saying in this passage of time is saying, fear not, because I will be with you in the midst of those. You're not going to be left alone. You won't be abandoned. I'll be there. We're not to get caught up with the past, whether it's good or bad. We shouldn't go too far in the future. We're to be in the present where God wants to do something new and radical. There will be trials. There will be difficulties. But he's saying he'll be with us. And then there's this passage in Lamentations chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 22. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord, what? Never ceases. It never, never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning because there's something new he wants to do. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Being rooted in the past can be a devastating experience. I know. There is um, one of my all-time impacting or favorite... uh, Songs, as powerful as it is, as difficult as it is, is um, a song called Hurt. Now, if you've, just really quick, how many of you, it's a Johnny Cash rework. It's Johnny Cash. How many of you have heard the Johnny Cash version? Okay. You guys today, this is, this is homework assignment. You won't get into heaven without this, okay? Um, <laughs> if you get a chance sometime later today and you really want an interesting experience, tap into your YouTube thing and look up Hurt by Trent Reznor or Nine Inch Nails. You only need a couple of seconds of that one, okay? It's pretty intense. It's very industrial, and it was written by a young man named Trent Reznor in a deep, painful moment he had of, of, of just, you know, it's powerful, but it's, it's grinding. Trent says that when he wrote that song, it was like, um, it was like his, his girl, his, his baby, his thing. Johnny Cash, as an old man at the end of his life, who had fallen and gotten up so many times, who had failed and and yet continued to pursue the things of God, that God's Spirit is woven through the rise and fall of this phenomenal vocalist. Now he's at the end of his life. He died a year after this rework, within a year. He takes this Nine Inch Nails song, this Hurt piece, and he puts a driving beat behind it that slowly builds to a crescendo. When Trent Reznor first heard that Johnny Cash had redone the song, he listened to it, and he said this. He said, I was confused. He didn't like it. He says, I was confused. He said, it was kind of like seeing my girl with somebody else. I didn't like it, and I was confused by it. He says, and then I saw the video. 
So after you listen to the Nine Inch Nails with, the, with things, you need to go and look at the video. You have to view the video. And, and he says, once I saw the video, he says, I was broken. He says, I was in tears. He says, I realized she wasn't my girl anymore. And nine out of time, ten out of times right now, if you tap in hurt, you're going to get the Johnny Cash version, not the other one. Cash's life was so complete with things that as he writes this piece, as he, as he puts this piece into action, it reflected his life, and it's powerful, and it's painful, and it's difficult. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel pain. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's cherry, writes it, reads at one point, full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. And then this line, you are someone else. I'm still right here. You've gone on with your life. You've grown and you continued. I'm still right here. I'm stuck in the past of my failures and regret and my pain. And the song builds to a crescendo until the final line where it says, if I could start again a million miles away, I would keep myself, I would find a way. And then his old, ancient hands close the piano and hover for a moment over it. And then it ends. Months later, Cash died. You are someone else. I'm still right here. I can't shake the hurt, the pain, the incredible successes, whatever the case is. I'm stuck in this moment. There's another drama I've shared with you, and I'll share it to you one more time here now. There's a, a, a commander of a, of, a, of, a, of a ship in a science fiction scenario, and in a battle, his ship is destroyed, and his wife, who's on the ship, is dying, and he's trying to reach through the flames to rescue her, but he can't. And he's drawn away, because there's no way to rescue her, and she's really already dead, and he's taken away, so he survives, but something inside him dies. He goes to a new command, and in the process of it, he encounters these beings who lived outside of time, and they're trying to understand linear time. And so they're taking him to different places in his life to try to understand humans and trying to understand what this thing of time as a straight projection is. And they keep bringing him back to this burning moment with the flames and, and he can't reach her and the pain and the heartache and he, he cries out, why do you torture me? Why do you keep bringing me back to this place? And they say to him, because this is where you live. It's like, no, I don't want to be here. This is not the guilt, the pain, the loss, the hurt. I don't want to be this is where you live. And slowly he comes to accept that he never left that place. And in an unusual twist on things, by facing that and addressing it, he realizes he has to let it go. He has to release her. He has to relieve the guilt and the pain and all that's meant with it. And he enters life anew. Where do you live? I do not live at 2418 Woodruff anymore. I do not live on Helber Street in Flint, thank God. I do not live in the apartment on Eleanor Drive, nor in our first home in Melody Court. Where do you live?
God says, whatever has been of the past, whatever damage was done to you, whatever brokenness happened, whatever regret was there, or whatever tremendous, wonderful thing you thought that you wanted to stay there, those things need to go away. You need to forget those. You need to set them aside, or I can't do the new thing I want to do. And don't get caught with the future. Don't get fixated with things that may never even come, these unrealities. That's a trick of Satan. In the present, though, he says, I will meet with you. I have always been faithful to you, and I always will be. In all my years, in all the different bows I've owned and the arrows I've fired, I have never once seen an arrow stop in midair, hover, and contemplate that space of time. I've never seen it reverse track. Once the errors are released, they fly, and anything else that stops it interrupts it going to its target. In physics, there is a thing called the arrow of time. And it's a belief shared by most human beings who have experienced it, time, that time is linear. It moves in one direction. It inexorably moves on. And it's only us in our heart and our mind and our spirit that insist on staying and hovering and dwelling on something to our detriment. Or worse yet, reversing it and trying to go back to something we can never go back to that will just penetrate and devastate our own heart and our own mind. And it's in this context that I speak to you today and I ask you, where do you live? Our God is not a God of just the past or just the future. He understands the hurts, pains, and devastations and regrets as well as the delights you've had. But he's calling us to the present. He's saying, in this time, in this place, I come to you. In this time, in this place, I have much to offer you. In this time, and in this place, in this present moment, don't miss what is happening. Don't lose out. Yes, I'm doing a new thing. But in order to access that, we need to stop dwelling on the past and not get tricked into anticipating the future. Trials will come. They'll be present, even as he's doing these new things. But God is faithful, and he won't let us fall. close the service today, I'm going to ask you to take an action step. I'm going to ask you to take a moment of time here to consider what we've talked about this morning and what I believe God is sharing with us as a people. And then I'm going to ask you to stand in response. And the song that we sang last week, that this time is an, is an affirmation, as a statement, as a stake in the ground, as a, as, a, as a committing to the present, that we would sing this and let the song swell forth. And if you're weak today, and if you've been stumbling, and if you're, you're caught with some of those things, then let today wash this away. Let this, this word today, let this song today, let, let the congregation gathered in voice, let God's Holy Spirit wash and cleanse you of your past and heal you and restore you and lift you up, even if you're not able to do that yourself today. And so... 
Father, we come before you as your children. God, there are so many scars, so many hurts, so many regrets. So many times we've tried to follow and just stumbled and fallen only to rise one more time and just on our knees come before you. There are other times, Lord, that we have soared so high. Such powerful moments and we just want to stay there on the mountain and not, not encounter any more trials, any more challenges. We, we want to remember the goldenness of this moment and And Lord, I pray this morning that as a people, as we come before you today, that we would lay these things down along with our fears of the future. That Lord, we'd grasp this scripture today in its fullness. That we know that whatever comes, you walk with us. And I pray, Lord, for those that need healing of the past, that in this moment of time, by your Holy Spirit, as they sing this song in faith, that your spirit would well up and erase the hurts regrets, failures, and pains of the past. And that, Lord, we'd rise up to seize the moment that you place us in here and now as your people. So we come to you. We seek you. Set aside the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See how I'm doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? Wait for it. It's there. Seize it. Tonight we're going to gather for prayer at 6 if you want to join us. And I want to say one more thing before we wrap up. I know a number of our college students have, have regularly committed to following us on the live stream. And I want to say to you guys, wherever you're at right now, that God sees you where you're at. I know the challenges of what you're having to face. But you're not alone. God's not only present with you, but this congregation stands with you too. And for those of you that have been stuck on the live stream for one reason or another, because of, 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 of family or illness or other issues, travel, whatever, just know that God's grace is there with you. For those of you that are fully healthy and functioning and have no other issues other than sheer laziness, get off your butts, get over here. <laughs> and be a part of things. That's it. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that even when we are not, you are. Lord, today we've made a declaration of statement that whatever happens, we trust you. We lean into you. We will not live in the past whether good or bad. We're not going to rush to the future. We're not going to go one step ahead, not one step behind. Lord, let us be in perfect step, present with you, loving one another in the present, praising you and worshiping you in the present, serving, ministering in the present. Guide us, speak to us, draw us. We look for the new thing that you're shaping and the mercies that you bring new every morning. In your name we're gathered in that same name, the name of Jesus Christ, do we go forth into this present day. And the church said, Amen. 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 God bless you.